This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. If a person's not already engaged in your healthcare system, that's really the way to get a person involved. And so if you can use language, depictions, pictures, images that are affirming for folks, it might be a way to reach a population that might not already be connected. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Duran. A few weeks ago, my colleague, Justin Cassidy, joined us to talk about a key growth segment that's really not getting a lot of attention, and that's the LGBTQ plus community. Today, we have a continuation of that discussion with a health system leader who's doing just that. Dr. Robert Kelly from Exeter Health in New Hampshire started and continues to operate a clinic specializing in serving the LGBTQ plus population. Dr. Kelly, I'm so appreciative that you're excited to join us and share your story. Can you give us a little background first on Exeter Health, the market you serve? Thanks, Trevor. I'm happy to be here. I'm even happier to be able to talk about our health system and our LGBTQ health program. Exeter Health Resources consists of three operating affiliates, Exeter Hospital, Core Physicians, where I work, and the Rockingham Visiting Nurse Association. The hospital started back in 1897, but Core Physicians, where I work, is a community-based, multi-specialty group practice affiliated with EHR. It has over 140 physicians, advanced practice clinicians, and we have more than 25 locations in the service area that offers primary care, pediatrics, orthopedics, OBGYN, plastic surgery, etc. Exeter itself is a former mill town about an hour north of Boston in the New Hampshire seacoast region. We're about 10 minutes from the ocean and on the Squamscott River. Our service area includes the small but bustling New England city of Portsmouth, as well as several communities closer to the Massachusetts border, including Plastow and Kingston. I hope that paints somewhat of a helpful picture. That's perfect. In that market, in your health system, what made you decide that you needed a new way to care for LGBTQ plus patients in your community? As a primary care physician, LGBTQ plus patients have always been a part of my practice. However, over the last couple of years, I've noticed that I've had more and more patients come to me specifically because of my experience with and basically willingness to learn more about LGBTQIA plus healthcare. A lot of the referral base was word of mouth. And eventually I realized that in our area, while there were plenty of open and affirming, well-meaning providers here, many didn't feel comfortable specifically calling out LGBTQ health specific conditions or treatments or screening. A few years ago, on top of that, we had a longtime independent practice PCP, actually who was transgender themselves, retired. And a lot of their patients didn't have many options to turn to for ongoing medical care, other than maybe going down to Boston. So a few were sent my way, and then that referral pattern only grew. Also over the years, I found that many LGBTQ patients in New Hampshire looking for pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV prevention, so PrEP. If they asked a primary care doc about it, they were often either being referred to an infectious disease specialist who we don't have tons of them in New Hampshire and they often had to wait several months to be seen, or they were being referred down to Boston where there were providers able and willing to manage PrEP, but it was just a geographic problem. With COVID, a lot of folks returning to virtual healthcare, and I thought this is a good opportunity to help address the access issue and also build out our program a bit more robustly. All right, that's a great lead. And tell us about the start of the program. What was the internal reception? Any unexpected hurdles? What was the response from the community? Initially, it started out small before COVID in either 2018 or 19. Lots of word of mouth, patient referrals. 
at that point, I was thinking we need some sort of website on our main website. So I met with our tech team and we created from scratch an LGBTQ health website that advertised some of the services we offered. I learned a heck of a lot about a field I was very new to. So search engine optimization was a buzzword I had never heard of before. I learned a lot about that, intake forms, star ratings and all that to help drive the traffic. The program built up over those months and years. And then in April 2021, I fully transitioned out of traditional primary care and the LGBTQ health program as it is now became formal. The way I do it now is I see patients primarily in a consultative model within primary care, but along with their PCP team. Many of the patients I saw before I continue to see, initially it was a bit confusing for both the staff and patients especially for those folks who I've seen for years and we're now going to continue seeing me, but in a slightly different way. Eventually, once all the kinks got worked out and we got the patient flow going, things have been a lot smoother. I see new patients each week and referrals keep coming either through adult or pediatric primary care here or even directly through the website. I can't tell you how many times I welcome the new patient into primary care by way of the LGBTQ health program. And when I ask them how they heard of us, they tell me, Dr. Google. And in terms of feedback, I've gotten pretty good feedback from the community, both in the patient office. And then recently we had a Portsmouth Pride event at the end of Pride in June. And we had half a dozen patients and family members come up to the table and thank us for the services that we're able to provide them, their loved ones, and just how happy they are to have a program that is available, but not only for them, but also if they ever have folks that they know who are seeking particular competence in this field, they'll know who to refer to. So it means a lot to hear those stories. And how about the response from your colleagues? Having the resource they can turn to internally, it sounds like to work more collaboratively with LGBTQ plus patients must be a huge benefit. Oh, it's great. Regularly, I'll get either pages or emails about sort of generic questions or either patient-specific, but they obviously remove any identifiers. Hey, doc, what about this sort of situation? And I'm happy to answer it off the cuff through an email or a conversation, or if it gets a little bit too much or the provider themselves is wanting ongoing longitudinal care, I'll say, you know what, just have them call the call center. I can see them next week. And it's definitely helped create an avenue for patient care where previously the provider just might not have had an awareness of what to do or where to refer that patient to. That's the same type of integrative model that systems have tried for things like behavioral health in the past, a specialized resource, specialized skill set with significant patient needs. Has your experience working collaboratively with your colleagues as kind of a specialist with a designated expertise in this area helped you guys think about other patient segments that could use similar areas of focus? Absolutely. Right now, my program is part of a larger, we're calling it the primary care, quote, special programs, where the other patient cohort of patients that I had previously seen in earnest as part of my primary care practice was folks with substance use disorder. So buprenorphine prescriber and medication assisted treatment. I have plenty of patients that I actually see as well during my clinical time in that cohort of folks. We also work pretty closely with our integrated behavioral health therapist that we have on site at the practice where I work for both actual programs, which is nice. So we do a lot of warm handoffs each day I'm in clinic. And then it helps create a network of care around the patient who has like a home where they not only have their PCP that they might have known for years for diabetes or whatnot. Sometimes I actually wind up serving essentially as a PCP for some patients who don't have many medical problems. I can be that point of contact. That's great to hear. Have you noticed any demographic or geographic patterns for the patients coming into your clinic? Nationally, there's plenty of research to show that the LGBTQ plus population has more chronic conditions, especially behavioral health. And it's particularly bad in rural markets like the one you serve. Have you noticed similar patterns? 
definitely. At this point, probably about 70% of my referral, 7-0, are folks who either identify as transgender or non-binary or who are struggling with their gender identity. So some of these folks are already connected with a therapist and others are not. We are lucky that we have an integrated behavioral health therapist located on site in the clinic. So we often will share patients, perform warm handoffs. The wait list to see a therapist in our community right now can be three, four, even six to nine months. So it's really helpful to be able to have that integrated behavioral health provider on site to help bridge the gap. I've also seen many gay and bisexual men who have recently relocated to New Hampshire or New England who want to either continue, get back on, or start prep. And it's been great. They found me through a Google search. And it's interesting. They found primary care through their Google search to try to get onto prep. So it's been an interesting evolution there. But it's great because then I can connect them with PrEP and then I can say, hey, you know, you're actually due for these vaccines or, hey, your blood pressure's up. So let's get that taken care of. With all that in mind, it seems like the need for more programs like yours is huge. And digital tools might be a great alternative, especially to reach rural populations. You talked about how many patients are finding you through Google search. How are you approaching other access challenges across your market? The SEO, that search engine optimization piece with the website was a huge help. I learned a lot and people Google LGBTQ health New Hampshire, we pop up at the top, if not the top. I've connected with many support groups and grassroots organization in the, the state that have either popped up over the last few years or become a bit more tech or internet savvy, a lot of which run like remote meetings. And so I've participated on a number of webinars and panels. And through those interactions, I feel like I've been able to meet other professionals in the area who are working with some of these patients who need services, but also even some patients and family members who might not have otherwise found us. As far as digital health and virtual visits, during the public health emergency, a lot of the licensing requirements were waived. But at this point, they're not. So I'm currently in the process of getting licensed in Massachusetts and can currently see any patients who live anywhere in the state of New Hampshire. Right now, I have people who live two, three hours away in the more rural parts of the state, but I'm able to see them through the virtual care. So it's pretty cool that way. Are there rural specific challenges for this population or is it just kind of exacerbating many of the things you already mentioned? Yes, it certainly exacerbates a lot of things that I mentioned, but things like if there is one pharmacy in the area of where this person lives and the pharmacist or the pharmacy location isn't either aware of, supportive of, or open-minded to either gender-affirming hormone care or pre-exposure prophylaxis or fill in the blank, sometimes these patients can have some struggles with getting their prescriptions filled, having an awareness of that, maybe some affiliations with mail-away pharmacies, et cetera. But then rural communities often struggle even more so with the sense of isolation, you know, not being around areas of community and collective groups. So I have a lot of people who say they've come down to the more quote unquote urban areas in New Hampshire that have pride events or things. It definitely has an impact. I don't know that there's anything that is exclusively a quote rural problem, but it definitely just makes it a bit more challenging to access both safe spaces and then spaces of care that can help the patient with whatever their needs are. Yeah. Any words of wisdom to share with other organizations who are considering starting a program like this or like you are in the process of getting it off the ground and thinking about what it can become in the future? I'm not sure I have any life-changing words of wisdom, but I always try to encourage folks to be open-minded about solutions and innovations in healthcare. You can't always do the same thing over and over again, especially if you're hitting up against the wall and not having any forward momentum. Embracing digital health solutions are important. Making sure any patient-facing material, including website and pamphlets, et cetera, are up-to-date and accurate, but also have affirming and inclusive language. I think that goes a long way. And people often forget that if a person's not already 
engaged in your healthcare system. That's really the way to get a person involved. And so if you can use language, depictions, pictures, images that are affirming for folks, it might be a way to reach a population that might not already be connected. So I'm not sure if that's words of wisdom, but... It's words of encouragement. So there you go. Do you have any details about different demographic groups and specific needs they might have? I found over the last year that it's been a lot more difficult for parents of teens to have access to any healthcare as it relates to gender identity and sexual orientation. But in particular, gender identity, a lot of my patients used to go down to Boston Children's and they still continue to see patients, but the backlog is pretty significant. And so the wait list, even within New Hampshire for other tertiary centers can be pretty long. I have entered into the area working with other endocrinologists in our practice to help better connect these folks with the right treatment, whether it be puberty blockers or therapists who specialize specifically in gender identity. As far as patients wanting a provider who is either the same gender as themselves or for whom they see a connection. I haven't had anybody tell me outright they don't want to see a cisgender gay male such as myself, but I often do lead with that when I am either taking a sexual history or if we're doing a pelvic exam or anything, just trying to let folks know that there are other providers in our practice that I'm happy to connect them with. It's important to recognize the patient and some of the anxieties that they may or may not have coming into the practice, previous experiences, etc. It's been really nice working collaboratively with other specialists, actual, traditional, legit specialists in terms of other non-primary care family medicine providers. So we have an OBGYN group in our practice, and I've connected with primarily one other person who is very dedicated to helping folks, either the lesbian population or the transmasculine population who is looking for either gender-affirming treatment or just a provider who is going to be not only respectful, but helpful in allowing the patient to get the healthcare that they need in a setting that may be traditionally uncomfortable for that particular patient. I'm hoping to continue to expand the offerings that we can offer patients in our community hospital center. We're not a huge tertiary center where we can do these more complicated surgical procedures that require subspecialists, but I want to be able to offer for the folks in our community high quality care in the setting where they live if we can. It's been nice sharing the success that we've had so far up until this point with the other surgical subspecialists. I've been able to talk to other folks to help expand that circle. You've also inadvertently made the business case for how that could be really unique to this population and could come from your clinic. I often joke, it'd be great if ultimately there isn't even a need for having a specific LGBTQ health program and that all primary care would be able to offer all of these services. Maybe we'll get there at some point. My experience in the LGBTQ health world was working with these LGBT health centers in urban centers. If you don't happen to live in that urban center, then it's really difficult to get there. I do think that it's an end model where we have to not only offer services potentially in a clinic, we're not a city, but I don't know that it would make sense to have an LGBT health center in every town in New Hampshire, but have hubs but at the same time work to try to do more education and training for providers, healthcare staff, et cetera. So that's the other arm of what I am doing clinically and administratively, help expand the knowledge and awareness of other people, because that's just as important. An invaluable advocate, but it would be ideal if all patients didn't kind of need that hand-holding. Sure. I like it. Thanks for that. And thanks for sharing your story, the story of core physicians and the work Exeter Health is doing to serve the LGBTQ plus patients in your community. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, 
comments or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.